step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the next edition of the World Famous Chicken Jaguar Radio Broadcast. We are live coast-to-coast and border-to-border on iHeartRadio today. Thanks for tuning in to the big program. A live video on our website, JiggyJaguar.com. From the KJag Radio Studios in downtown Edison, Kansas, we are live coast-to-coast and border-to-border each and every day, 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com on the TuneIn apps. And, of course, you can find our app available in both the app stores, on-demand podcasts via iHeartRadio. Live videos available on our website, Twitch, Periscope, and Facebook as well. Selected editions will be available on AMFM247.com. And 50-plus AMFM stations in the Jiggy Jaguar radio network, including our good friends at KFRK in Denver. And, of course, you can follow us on social media as well. Find our daily video uploads to YouTube, cross-posted to Rumble, and, of course, broadcasting on Roku via the AMFM 24-7 network each and every week. The Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast is brought to you by our fabulous friends over there at MyPillow. Go over and check that out today. It's MyPillow.com. They do a little bit of everything. And Mike Lindell, of course, was on our broadcast uh, several months ago talking about his efforts and talking about my pillow and you can save up to 30 percent off right now with our promo code j-i-g-g-y when you go to check out thanks for tuning in and being a part of the big program we have got a great guest joining us this week here on our big program he is a fantastic fantastic author dean rotbart is with us 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks we're going to be talking about that he's an expert he's an author and we have got Dean on the telephone. Dean, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir? James, I am terrific. It's a true pleasure to be here with you today. Now, Dean, you have an amazing, amazing book here. Uh, you're a Pulitzer Prize nominated. You're a former reporter and columnist with Wall Street Journal. Uh, tell us a little bit about this incredible book, September 12th, An American Comeback Story. Tell me about this. People might be surprised that there's still fresh information about 9-11 that they haven't heard. I mean, it has been obviously very widely reported, and you are correct. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attack. What I'm not writing about is um, sort of reminiscences. I'm actually really writing about things that were never really reported well back in September of 2001. The book is called September 12th, An American Comeback Story. And really the focus, James, of what I'm writing about is how the Wall Street Journal, which was located directly across the street from the World Trade Center complex, and therefore was essentially kicked out of its home on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, because falling debris, smoke, fire, all those things hit the Wall Street Journal headquarters, and they have to evacuate roughly around 9, 9.30 in the morning. 
And this is the story how they turned out a Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper the next day, even though they had no headquarters. The journalists couldn't speak to one another. Cell phones weren't working. They were dispersed throughout Manhattan. They were dispersed into New Jersey and Connecticut. And this was before the technology that we have today with Zoom and video conferencing. So it was really kind of a miracle paper, and they not only survived, but they did a great job of reporting what happened on 9-11. We have got a great guest with us today. Dean Rotbart is with us. He's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated former reporter and columnist with the Wall Street Journal. He has an incredible book, September 12th, An American Comeback Story, and this is about uh, September 11th, 2001, the men and women of the Wall Street Journal, the business and financial reporters suddenly were called upon to serve as war correspondents, and he details a lot of this information in this book. So you mentioned in this book, and you just mentioned in, in the open here, about the fact that the cell phones didn't work, they didn't really have a lot of this working on location uh technology that we have now with Skype and Zoom and all these things and WebEx and all these things. Um, how exactly did they communicate with no cell phones and, and being dispersed? To a large degree, James, they didn't, they didn't communicate. Uh, just to, again, refresh people's memories, back in September of 2001, virtually no one, there was no such thing as a smartphone. There were no camera phones. If you wanted to take, if you were a journalist or some other observer who wanted to take photos of what was happening around the World Trade Center or the Pentagon, you had to have a dedicated camera. Could have been a digital camera, but you had to have a camera. And Blackberries were only for email. They were not yet cell phones in September of 2001. So the only saving grace for the Wall Street Journal was email, to the extent that people could get to a, a web-connected, an email-connected, like AOL. I mean, AOL was the powerhouse at the time. To the, to the extent that they could get to one of those services, that's how they communicated. Absolutely amazing. We have got Dean Rotbart with us today. He's an author and he's an expert on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And he joins us today here on the telephone. So, Dean, why, why did the Wall Street Journal's action on 9-11 represent a great American comeback story? Because it's the title of your book here, my friend. Give me more details. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of these people. I, I used to, again, I used to be a reporter and columnist with the Wall Street Journal. And although they might be insulted, if I said so, but by me saying so, basically they were average Joes and average Janes. These were not, uh, these were people covering things like, uh, you know, what stocks were going up, what stocks were going down, what the economy was doing. Um, in the very first chapter of the book, I write about the day of a, of a reporter named John Hilsenrath. John Hilsenrath was covering academic economics. Um, he, he could have been a professor, but he was a journalist. So these were just average Americans, and they were determined not to let the terrorists um, who destroyed the World Trade Centers, who, who crashed into the Pentagon, and who were the cause of the fourth plane that crashed in Somerset County, 
Pennsylvania. They were determined not to let them win by keeping them from publishing the next day's paper. The other thing is, if you talk about who were the people who deserve credit for getting the Wall Street Journal out on the morning of September 12th, it included a lot of non-journalists, a lot of blue-collar workers, a lot of union people, delivery truck drivers, people who composed and printed the newspaper. And what you had was you had people, many of whom never had met one another, all pulling together to basically say, we will not be defeated by terrorism. And they put out a newspaper that reached, at the time, the journal circulation was about 1.8 million daily. And they reached all but about 150,000 of their subscribers the next morning. Those people who didn't get the paper primarily were people who either lived in or around Manhattan, particularly the World Trade Center area, or who normally got their paper delivered via airmail to their post office box, you know, to their mailboxes, and planes weren't flying. But the reason why this is a great comeback story is because truly, you know, these were people who were knocked on their behind, a whole organization that was knocked on its behind, and simply refused to accept defeat. Absolutely amazing. We've got Dean Rotbart with us today. He joins us live here on our big program, and uh, he is just an amazing uh, author. He's well-spoken, and uh, so this this book and, and and everything that you've put together with this book, what do you want readers to take away from your writing? Well, I think there are different classes of lessons to be learned. Uh, certainly the most important lesson is that anyone, you do not have to be a first responder, you do not have to be trained in rescue, anyone in an emergency can rise to the occasion. That's one lesson. Behind that lesson is actually a second important lesson. If the Wall Street Journal and its management had not for years before 9-11 developed a corporate culture of independence such that people could work on their own when they couldn't communicate with their superior superiors at the office, they would have never gotten that paper out. Most people didn't had no instructions on 9-11 of what they should do, but they did it anyway. And they did it because management for years had embraced, again, a culture of self-reliance. So that's good whether you're a professional or just whether you're a you know, general citizen to think to yourself, how do I prepare for an emergency should one ever arise? Um, I certainly have been informed by it, James. I mean, in terms of making sure I have supplies and health products and things along those lines, should an emergency ever arise? So I think those are the, the core lessons. There are some journalism lessons in this, but they're more appropriate to uh, people in the media. Uh, and that's also the question of how do you deal with how do you deal with a crisis that nobody ever expected? And the book, September 12th, uh, explains really what the Wall Street Journal did superbly. We have got a great guest with us today. Dean Rotbart is with us. Now, has anyone, especially businesses and organizations, can they learn some important lessons from the uh, Wall Street Journal's performance on this? 
Yeah, so I, I, again, I think the book, the book is an um, optimistic read, if you will. Even though the topic of September 12th is a sad, uh, really horrible topic, the book, the, book is, the book is optimistic, and what it projects out there is, again, comeback. I also think, although it, it's not the main intention of the book, it does serve as a primer, if you will, on successful crisis preparation and management. In fact, I go back to the, with, in the book to the 1960s to talk about a gentleman named Barney Kilgore, who was the managing editor at the time, and some of the rules he put in place, some of the ethics uh, he raised. One of the things he pointed out, for example, was he didn't care what the circumstances were. He insisted that journalists get the facts straight. And so on 9-11, amid all of the chaos, and more than, you know, 40-plus years after Barney Kilgore was managing editor, I say that the ghost of that manager, the ghost of Barney Kilgore, really was still there helping the journal editors and reporters and guiding them to make sure that no matter what they did, that they continued to be accurate. So, yeah, I do believe that anybody in business um, any entrepreneur, any business owner, etc., uh, can come away with some really valuable lessons from September 12th. We have got a great guest with us today. Dean Rotbart is with us. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. So, take me through your your writing process for this book. I never, James. I never intended to write this book. This book was a uh, accidental outgrowth of a different book that I did intend to write. Uh, I am in the process of writing a biography of Paul Steiger. Paul Steiger was the longest serving managing editor in the Wall Street Journal's history and really in a, an amazing journalist. He also, when he retired from the Wall Street Journal after 16 years, founded ProPublica, which has become a global leader in nonprofit investigative reporting. So this is a gentleman who ran the Wall Street Journal for 16 years, won 16 Pulitzer Prizes, his staff during his time there, retired, approaching 65, and started a brand new news organization that has become a global juggernaut. And I knew that Paul Steiger was the managing editor on September 11th and thought that that would make a good chapter in my book, in my biography of Paul Steiger. When I started to research it, I came across a cache of previously undiscovered, unpublished emails and memos that essentially was the play-by-play, hour-by-hour events that unfolded at Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. As I mentioned earlier, the only way people communicated was not really by phone, certainly there was not video conferencing, was by emails. Well, I discovered a cache of those emails, more than a thousand of them, that were sent on either September 11th or early September 12th, and I realized it was just too rich of a story not to spin it off into its own book. And so I didn't set out to write the book on September 12th. I set out to write a biography of the person who had been the managing editor that day and had a very rich career before and after September 12th. 
But when I started to discover all of these emails and memos, time, you know, time stamped to tell me what was taking place moment by moment, I realized there was really this was something that had to be published. And so I did. Fantastic. It is Dean Rotbard. He's with us today here on a broadcast. He has got September 12th. That is the latest book from him, and uh, it's called September 12th, An American Comeback Story. And uh, you were nominated for a Pulitzer. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this, my friend. Well, I was a – I went to work for the Wall Street Journal straight out of – Columbia University, where I got a master's degree. But essentially, I, as an undergraduate, I went to the Northwestern Journalism School. And for, for my graduate degree, I graduated from the Columbia School of Journalism. And the journal in, that, in those days really liked to hire young reporters who didn't learn all the bad mistakes yet. And so they hired me, and they moved me through their various bureaus. I worked in Detroit and Cleveland and Dallas and eventually came to New York, and one advantage I had was I didn't know very much, and in the process of not knowing very much, I had to learn a whole lot of things. So the piece that was, the article that was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize at the time was the longest article ever run in the journal, starting on its front page. And what it talked about in, in sort of financial circles on Wall Street There are a group of people, James, I'm sure you're familiar with them, called short sellers. And what short sellers do is they make money by betting that the price of stocks will fall. Not that they will rise. Most people think you want to buy a stock and hope it goes up. What they want to do is they have an instrument that they can use to make money when the price of stocks fall. Well, if they fell naturally, that would be one thing. What I uncovered was that, that these short sellers used questionable techniques, uh, questionable for certain. Sometimes the techniques might have crossed the line of legal techniques uh, to help those stock prices fall. And not only that, but they had a sort of incestuous relationship with some members of the financial press, the financial journalism. So I did a big expose on that, and there were two things that I think made it remarkable. One is I don't think people ever realized how these short sellers operated. And two is it was very unusual at the time for a news organization to expose other news organizations. And, in fact, one of the news organizations that I exposed for questionable tactics was a sister publication to the Wall Street Journal, the weekly Saturday magazine, investors magazine, known as Barron's. And to this day, there are a number of journalists at various news organizations uh, that think I am a pariah. They will not talk to me because they don't think journalists should be exposing wrongdoing by other journalists. And so there's a little bit of an irony in this in that I kind of earned my reputation and was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in part by showcasing journalists who were not doing a good job. And now I've written a book uh, that is really the ultimate book about journalists who did a great job. So I'm impartial. Whether they do a good job or they do a bad job, 
uh, I've been writing about journalists now for a few decades. Well, I think that is fantastic that you uh, that you have gotten uh, you've gotten a little heat on uh, the fact that you you expose bad journalists. Uh, I, I I love that. Uh, so 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 this so this book um, you've you've put a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, what are some of the reviews and some of the different feedback you've gotten on the book so far? Well, I like your review the best because you called it fantastic, and I'll accept that as a review. <laughs> okay. <laughs> James, here's, here's the thing. I, ha- I have basically in my hand a what, what's called in the trade an unedited proof. This book will actually not be – I mean, people can pre-purchase it now, and I'm happy to tell you how. But it actually won't be on sale on Amazon in brick-and-mortar bookstores uh, and from a dedicated website until roughly August 20th. So that's, it's time to come out then. So the, the people who have reviewed it for the most part are people who have had some hand in helping to produce it. For example, the journalist who I am writing about, to make sure I'm accurate, I've let them review at least what I'm writing about them, and their reviews have been very uh, very encouraging and, and very positive. I've had a few independent people take a look at it and review it, but for the most part, I'll stick with your review. That's amazing. Dean Rotbart with us today. He joins us live here on our big program, talking a little bit about this incredible, incredible book that he has here. So one of the things that I find absolutely amazing about this was the fact that journalistically uh, their coverage was so unique. What made it so unique? So here's the thing. On September 11, 2001, the Wall Street Journal was in its 109th year of publication. It started in the 1800s. Never in the history of the publication had it won a prize, a Pulitzer Prize, for deadline reporting. On September 11th, what it did ultimately won the Pulitzer Prize. And the reason why was, so the New York Times covered the story, and it won a couple of Pulitzers. And virtually every newspaper in America, I mean, they all covered it. It was all front-page news. The Washington Post put out a special edition. The Los Angeles Times put out a special 9-11 edition on 9-11. What made the journal's edition so distinctive is that the whole thing unfolded quite literally outside its front door. So to the extent that it had reporters who were already uh, in the office on the morning of 9-11, they were eyewitnesses, literally eyewitnesses, to what happened. So they not only were interviewing people who were at ground zero, for stories that ran on September 12th, but they were writing first-person stories of what they saw and of what they witnessed. One of the journalists, um, who at the time was the foreign editor of the paper, he was responsible for news outside of the United States. He happened to be in the offices of the Wall Street Journal, right across the street from the World Trade Center, when the buildings were attacked and when uh, they collapsed, and his name was John Bussey. And, John, again, John Bussey was the foreign editor. His job was to report news overseas. But he also, every morning on CNBC, 
awoke early and from the Wall Street Journal headquarters did live updates of what was going on overseas. Well, on the morning of 9-11, he stayed at his post looking outside the window, his windows directly at the burning and eventually collapsing World Trade Centers, and he was on the phone live with CNBC reporting. And in fact, James, a security guard, a vice president in the company, all came and told him he had to evacuate the building, that it was dangerous, he shouldn't stay there, but he stayed. He told them that he respected their wishes, but he was not going to leave. And he continued to report, and he almost died in the process because he didn't think the buildings would collapse. And when they did, he was really caught up in a hellish scene of smoke and debris and broken windows, etc. truly almost died in the process. Um, so, But he ended up writing a first-person article that ran on the front page of the September 12th edition relaying his experience. No journalist had an experience. Maria Bartiromo came close from CNBC. She was at CNBC at the time. But no journalist had an experience like that. And while there were many eyewitnesses, they weren't journalists. So here was a journalist who was an eyewitness, and his article was one of ten that ran in the September 12th edition of the Wall Street Journal that won the Pulitzer Prize. Absolutely amazing. It's Dean Rotbard. He's with us today. He joins us live here on our program. So, Dean, as we wrap up here with you, my friend, how do people get the book and get in touch with you online and everything else? Well, I would love people to get this book. I think, again, although the topic of September 11 is usually tragic, this book, I think, is upbeat. Um, it, does, it does begin with a quote from Vince Lombardi that, in essence, says it's not, if you get, it's not about whether you get knocked down. It's about whether you get back up. And so there are two ways to buy this book. Uh, one is you can order it right now. And I'll give you the URL where you can order it. And if you do, when the book is available, roughly August 20th, we will ship you with no tax and no uh, shipping charges a signed first edition. I'll sign each book. And that's available at this unique URL. It's gutenbergstore.com. Gutenberg, like the guy who invented the printing press, it's got one T. G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. So it's Gutenberg's with an S and then store.com. So Gutenberg 1T store, but Gutenberg store. So there's two S's, gutenbergstore.com, and you get a signed first edition, no sales tax and no shipping. Or you can wait till roughly August 20th, and it will be available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble online and in uh, bookstores all across the country. So either way. We have got Dean Rotbart with us today. Dean, thanks for doing this, my friend. I definitely want to have you back as we get closer to the release of the book. It is a tremendous, tremendous read. Thank you for doing this, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Appreciate it. There he goes. That's Dean Rotbart. And we will see you next week here on the Quad Pack.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.